We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from Luke 2. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, and the, angel, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, I may now dis- you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. You can all take your seats. Good morning again and welcome to Resurrection Oakland. We are continuing our sermon series, our Advent sermon series, which we are calling Repeat the Sounding Joy. And in this series, we have been going through the songs of Christmas that we find in the gospel according to Luke. When you read Luke's account of the Christmas story, of the birth of Jesus, it's filled with songs. It's filled with singing. Everybody is singing. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, is singing. That's what we saw in the first week. The angels are singing. That's what we saw last week. Mary is singing. That's what we're going to see next week on Christmas Eve. And today, we come to the song of a man named Simeon. Now, we know who Zechariah is. We know who the angels are. We know who Mary is. But who is Simeon? This is the only time where Simeon appears in the Bible, and we know very little about him. Why is he singing? Why is he included in the Bible? Why are we still talking about him 2,000 years later? Simeon's song is often called the Nunc Dimittis, which is Latin, and it means now dismiss. It's the phrase that Simeon uses at the very beginning of his song, in the very first verse. He starts this song saying, Lord, dismiss your servant. And when when Simeon says this, 
He's saying, I have everything that I ever wanted. My life is complete. I am ready to go. I am happy. There is nothing more that I need. And this phrase, nunc dimittis, has been the inspiration of artists throughout the ages. There are paintings that have been painted of Simeon. There are poems that have been written about him. There are songs that have been written about him. It's such a captivating idea, the idea that you could end your life saying, nunc dimittis, I have everything that I need. It's every artist's dream. Every artist dreams of producing a masterpiece that is so perfect that they could say, I'm done. I need to do nothing else. I am complete. John Coltrane had a nunc dimittis moment. He wrote his masterpiece in 1964. It was an incredible jazz suite called A Love Supreme, 32 minutes in the original recording. Uh, only, he only performed it live a handful of times. There are only two live performances recorded. The second live performance was discovered just a couple years ago, and it's like 76 minutes long. And there was one performance where John Coltrane performed A Love Supreme, and the legend goes that after finishing, he laid his saxophone down, he walked off the stage, and the audience could hear him whispering, Nunc Dimittis, Nunc Dimittis. I'm, I'm happy, I've accomplished everything that I ever needed, I could die right now, and that would be it. Nunc Dimittis. Now dismiss your servant. I've achieved everything I ever wanted. Will you be able to say those words at the end of your life? And what could you possibly achieve? What could you possibly have that would make you say those words? I have lived a life where I have everything that I ever wanted. How can anybody say this? It sounds too good to be true, and yet every single one of us is looking for this. We all want a life where we can say, I have everything that I ever needed. And the Bible says that every single one of us in this room and every single person in the world can have it. How? Well, we're going to look at three things this morning that you need to be able to say nunc dimittis. We need a longing heart. We need a cosmic hope, and we need a piercing spear, a sword. So let's start with a a longing heart. We're introduced to this man named Simeon in verse 25, and he is filled with longing. People usually imagine that Simeon is old, but the Bible, if you notice, doesn't tell us his age. A little bit after this, we, we didn't read it, but there's another woman at the temple named Anna. We know that Anna is very old. But there is nothing in this text other than this promise from the Holy Spirit that Simeon will never die until he sees the Messiah. That's the only hint that we get that he might be old, but he could be 30 years old. He could be 15 years old. We don't know when this promise was made. And it's it's interesting to think that Simeon could be anyone because he really represents the longing of every human heart. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how much you've achieved, how little you've achieved. 
Simeon, what we know about him is not his age, not his job title, not his marital status. We don't know anything else about him. We know that he's righteous and devout, which means that he did all the right things. He made all the right decisions. He did good. He was a good person, but he's filled with longing. He's waiting, waiting. When you're waiting for something, that means that you are incomplete. It means that you are unsettled. It means that you're filled with longing. And Simeon is filled with longing. He's filled with longing for the consolation of Israel. And that's every single one of us here today. Doesn't matter if you're young or old. Doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have. Every single one of us is filled with longing. We're waiting. We're waiting for more. We're unsettled. We're restless. We need comfort. We need consolation. G.K. Chesterton, he has this great quote. He says, pessimism is not in being tired of evil, but in being tired of good. Despair does not lie in being wary of suffering, but in being wary of joy. What is Chesterton saying? He's saying the problem with the world is not all the bad stuff in it. The problem with the world is the good stuff is not good enough. No matter how much you have, no matter how much you achieve, it is never enough. Jerry Seinfeld and Kevin Hart uh, were talking to one another about raising their children in getting coffee, or what is it, comedians in cars uh, getting coffee. And uh, they're in this amazing car, they're talking about raising their kids, and Kevin Hart talks about how his kids will never understand what it is to be poor, what it is, what it is to struggle, uh, to, to, to make a life for yourself. Uh, he's complaining about how spoiled they are, how his daughter keeps asking him, are you rich, daddy, are you rich? And Jerry Seinfeld says this to Kevin Hart, he says, your problem was things are bad, I need to make it good, their problem will be things are good, why do I still feel so bad? And this is what happens to all of us. We, we, we get the good that we think will complete our lives, but we still feel bad. We get married, but we still feel lonely. We get the job, but we still feel like we need to prove our worth. We, we, get, we work hard to perfect our body and we get close to the body that we want, but we still feel unwanted. We get back on our feet, but we're still filled with worry. We get paid, but we still don't have enough. See, things are good, but we still feel bad. Why is it that the good things in this world are never good enough? Why is it that we could have a life that is so good but we still feel so bad. Simeon was righteous and devout. He had a good life. He lived a good life, but he was still longing and waiting. And one day, the Holy Spirit sent Simeon to the temple, and Joseph and Mary were there. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, but then they brought him back 40 days later for Mary's purification and to de dedicate Jesus at the temple. And there was nothing impressive about Mary and Joseph or Jesus, not outwardly. Uh, the Bible tells us that they offered doves or pigeons, which was the poor person's offering. The ordinary offering was a lamb, but if you couldn't afford a lamb, you could offer 
pigeons or doves. So they looked ragged, they were poor, they were young. They had suffered much even in these, this first month of, of, of parenthood with Jesus. And yet there was something that impressed Simeon as he held the, the, the baby Jesus in his arms, he started singing. He was inspired to sing this incredible song. And he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Nunc dimittis. Why does he say this? Well, the Bible tells us in the very next line of the song, For my eyes have seen your salvation. See, what the Bible is declaring in the birth of Jesus is that contentment, purpose, happiness, peace, that none of these things can be attained in what we have or what we achieve. That salvation is not something to do, but it's a person that we receive. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation is in the person of Jesus, a person that you could see with your eyes, touch with your hands, and hold close to your heart. It's not a mystical experience that you need to have. It's not a, 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 some type of knowledge or enlightenment that you need to learn. It's not a mantra that you need to perfect. It's not a mystical experience that you need to feel. It's not rules that you need to keep. It's not something that you need to achieve. Salvation is a person. Salvation is Jesus. This is so important to remember because it's so easy to think that believing in Jesus makes you a good person. And that's what so many people think Christianity is about. Go to church and become a good person. Believe in Jesus and be a good person. But that's not, that's not what believing in Jesus is about. Believing in Jesus doesn't make you a good person. It makes you a saved person. See, these longings that we have, the feelings that we can never do enough, they're pointing to something. They're pointing to the one way to know that you are okay. And it's not from anything that you can do, but it's in a person that you receive, that God came in the flesh, that he came to be your savior, that he came to show you a love that you could find nowhere else, a hope that you could find nowhere else, a purpose that you could find nowhere else. So how do you take this Jesus into your heart in a way that fills you with wonder like that? Well, two things that we need. We need cosmic hope and a piercing sword. So let's look at the cosmic hope. People went to the temple all the time in, in the first century, and they went to the temple in, in a lot of ways, the way that we go to church, looking for the same thing. People went to the temple hoping to meet God. And that's why we go to church. We hope to meet God. But in the Old Testament, meeting God looked a very specific way. Throughout the Old Testament, when you look at worship, God appears and meets with people in light and glory. Let me show you just a few places. There's so many more examples, but just three to, to give you a picture here. In Exodus chapter 24, the people of Israel are in Mount Sinai. They've escaped Egypt, and they're offering worship to, to God, and a cloud of glory descends on the mountain, and, and, the, and the cloud is filled with light and glory. 
In Exodus chapter 40, after the people of Israel build the tabernacle and offer their first worship service in the tabernacle, a cloud of glory descends on the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is filled with the light and glory of God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, after building the temple, as Solomon dedicates the temple to God, a cloud of glory descends on the temple and it's filled with light and glory. Throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, people knew that they were meeting with God because God appeared in this unapproachable light and glory. No one had experienced the light and glory of God in the temple for 400 years. By the time that Simeon was offering worship at the temple, no one expected God to be there. Now listen to what Simeon says when he holds Jesus in his hands. He says that Jesus, this child, this baby, is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon is saying light and glory has returned to the temple. God has returned to the temple. God is with us, and I am doing something that no one could have ever possibly done in the Old Testament. I'm getting close to the light and glory of God. I am holding the light and glory of God in my hands. And this light and glory is not just for Simeon. It is for the nations. He is a light to the nations. And he says that God had come to bring salvation that he's prepared in the sight of all nations. And this is why Simeon says, I have seen your salvation. He doesn't say, I've seen my salvation. He says, I have seen your salvation. Whose salvation? God's salvation for not just Simeon, but for the nations, for the ends of the earth, for the whole world. See, God's salvation is bigger than just Simeon. It's bigger than just you and me. It's bigger than filling your life and my life with light and glory. The salvation of God is about filling the world with his light and glory. And this is what we begin to see in the book of Acts. We see the light and glory of God again in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, it's the day of Pentecost. Jesus has died and risen and ascended into heaven. And the Holy Spirit descends on the whole church for the first time. And Acts tells us that they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Light. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues glory, light and glory, this time not in a temple, but inhabiting every single person who has put their hope in Jesus. You see, in the Old Testament, the only way the people of the nations could see the light and glory of God was by going to Jerusalem and coming to the temple. But in the book of Acts, the light and glory of God is going out from the temple to the nations through every person filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is such a glorious vision. What God is saying is that we have a greater purpose in our lives than we can imagine. That to be filled with light and glory is not to have 
a great career or a great life. To be filled with light and glory is to see how God uses you to bring the light and glory of God to others. And this means that there is hope for everyone. No one is disqualified from experiencing the light and glory of God. All you need is your need. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what, how you grew up. It doesn't matter how you've lived your life. It doesn't matter what you have or don't have. The light and glory of Jesus is for anyone, for anyone. None of us deserves it. No one deserves it, but everyone can have it. There's hope for everyone. It also means that there are no ordinary people in the world. Every human being has infinite value. There's this great quote from C.S. Lewis, there are no ordinary people, but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. What would it look like if people treated you this way? Do people treat you this way? Do people treat you like you are an immortal who will one day live in everlasting splendor? How different would your life be if people treated you this way? How different would other people's lives be if you treated them that way? How different would your workplace be? How different would your family be? How, would, how different would your school be? How, how different would your neighborhood be? How different would Oakland be if we treated one another this way? The Bible says that the light and glory of God is for the nations. It is for everyone. And he's calling Christians to bring this light and glory to everyone around us. How do we do this? How do we take this cosmic hope into our hearts? Well, you need a piercing sword. This brings us to the last thing we're going to look at today. As Simeon sang his song, Joseph and Mary marveled at what he was saying, and then he blessed Mary. And, and, and this is what he said, the blessing of Simeon. He said, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There is so much here, but the first thing that we should acknowledge is that this does not sound like a blessing. It sounds like an omen. It sounds like a warning. In what way are these things blessing? People are going to rise and fall. People are going to speak against Jesus. The thoughts of many hearts are going to be revealed, and a sword is going to pierce Mary's soul. There's so much, thing, so much that's happening here. What's, what's going on? Well, when Simeon talks about the rising and falling of people, when he talks about how the thoughts of our hearts are going to be revealed, when he talks about uh, how people are going to speak against Jesus, he's talking about the freedom of letting go of all other hopes so that we could find our hope in Jesus. He's saying that you can't be neutral about Jesus. There is no neutrality. You, you reject him or you worship him. There's no in between. There's nothing in between. There's this great episode of uh, The Simpsons where Homer Simpson 
gets both his arms stuck in two separate vending machines. And no one could get him unstuck. So they call the fire department. The fire department comes, and they look at him. They try to pull. Nothing is working. He's stuck. And a firefighter tells him, we're going to have to, we're gonna have to saw your arms off, Homer. And Homer freaks out, right? And so a firefighter gets his buzz saw, comes, and it looks like he's about to saw off Homer's arms when another firefighter says, wait a second, are you still holding on to the cans in those vending machines? <laughs> and Homer, of course, is holding on to the cans. He lets go. His arms are free. Oh, you know, and uh, disaster is averted. So if you want... If you want to put your hope in Jesus, you cannot hold on to any other hopes. That's what Simeon is saying. He's saying that a day is coming where every thought of your heart will be revealed, every hope that you've clung to. And, 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 and we don't need to be held hostage to our hopes and our expectations and our unfulfilled desires that we can let go of them. They're just soda cans. Because in Jesus, we have the one thing that is everything, and we can be absolutely complete. He goes on to tell Mary that this child will be like a sword that pierces your soul. Sometimes choosing Jesus, putting your hope in Jesus, feels like a sword through the soul, which is why it's so hard to let go of the soda cans, right? Now, imagine, imagine the agony Mary must have felt being Jesus' mother and learning to trust him as her savior. Think of the hurt she must have felt every time that Jesus was criticized, where he was opposed, where he was falsely accused, Think about the agony that Mary must have experienced watching her son suffer. Think of, think of the ways that she must have been traumatized when Jesus was abandoned by all his closest friends, when he was beaten by Roman soldiers, when he was nailed to a cross, when he was gasping for just one more breath. It must have felt like a sword through the soul for Mary to be Jesus' mother and to believe that he was her savior. How could this piercing sword ever be a blessing? There's some things that we hold on to and we think that we will die without them. It feels like if God were to take this away from us, it would be like losing our arms. And yet Simeon says this is a blessing. How could it ever be a blessing? It's a blessing because the piercing sword is the source of all other blessings. See, on the cross, Jesus said his own nunc dimittis. He didn't say, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. Jesus had no peace on the cross. He had agony, he had torment, he had loss, he had condemnation. Jesus on the cross was saying, let them depart in peace. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Let them have peace. 
He was saying, let me receive your judgment so they can receive your forgiveness. Let me receive your wrath so that they can receive your love. Let me receive your rejection so they can receive your acceptance. Let me be nailed to a cross so they can be set free from being tied down to all the things of this world. Let me see darkness so that they may see splendor and glory. You know, thinking about his people should have filled Jesus with hate on the cross. We were the reason that he was suffering and dying, but instead it filled him with love. Why? Because people like you and me are the nunc dimittis of Jesus. We are his masterpiece. We are the reason he came into this world. We are the reason he lived. We are the reason he died. We are the reason he rose again. We are the reason he is coming again. Is this what you see when you see Jesus? When you bring your sins to Jesus, when you bring your heartbreak to Jesus, do you hear him saying, I can't believe you. I can't believe you just can't trust me. Or do you hear him saying, everything I endured was for you and it was worth it. You are worth it. You are worth everything. This is what this table declares. This table declares that you are worth everything. This table declares that the greatest thing that anyone in this room could achieve is to simply be loved by God. Do you believe that? The greatest achievement is not what you do with your career, not what you do with your family. It is simply to be loved by God. Everything else is gravy. It's a big thank you in response to the great love and acceptance because in Jesus we have everything. And one day when we see him look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant, we will know that our lives have been full and that everything that we ever wanted, we had because we had Jesus. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks. And he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you in remembrance of me. Eat of this, eat of this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup. And after blessing it, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the hope of redemption. Lord, that it is free to us, but it costs Jesus everything. And that in Jesus, we have everything. We pray that you would help us to believe this in such a way that we would be transformed by it, there, that, that in such a way that we could let go of all the soda cans that we're clinging on to and hold on to Jesus, that we may live our lives with greater purpose and greater hope than we ever believed possible. And Lord, that we could live with confidence knowing that we belong to you. Make all these things true for us, Lord, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.